it feel like New Cross, it feel like Deptford, it feel like Woolworth, it feel like Kennet, and it feel like Brixton, it feel like Dulwich, it feel like Catford. This is South London Hardcore. This is a music special, hence the Kanye West reference. I'm here with Steve Walsh. The Jay-Z to your Kanye West. There. The older, wiser uh, like rapper-stroke podcaster. <laughs> I'm a millionaire. I'm not a millionaire. People better watch the phone, Steve. <laughs> You're going to be talking about South London music. We're going to be talking about musical acts from South London, songs related to South London. We're going to be looking pretty much at an overview of the history of music in South London. Whilst compiling a mixtape, if you will. Yeah, a little selection of songs for people to sort of represent South London over the years. And by mixtape, we mean list of YouTube references. That you can then put together yourself, because we've already done this for you, we're not going to do it all for you. Yeah, South London's got a really strong musical history. It's uh, traditionally been London's playground, home of the theatres and music halls that people would cross the river to travel from the city of London and Westminster. Um, and music hall, in the modern sense of the word... <laughs> There's a modern sense well, of the word, uh, music hall. <laughs> as opposed to uh, the traditional, you know, 20th century, uh, turn, turn of the 20th century uh, music halls were quite liberally peppered around the Lambeth area. It was a real sort of hotbed of uh, music halls. The first music hall uh, that was ever given the name and recognised as such is actually was found in Lambeth. You're talking about Music Hall, Steve, as if everyone listening is going to know what it is. Yeah. I mean, you like Music Hall the way most people like Friends. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, I've got all ten se- seasons of... Uh... No, uh, I, I'm interested in the history of South London, and I think Music Hall is a huge part of that. And the tradition of music in South London continued through the 20th century into the 60s and 70s with the pop and rock bands. And, again grew during the punk era in the 70s where you had uh, Mark Perry's very influential fanzine Sniffing Glue coming out of Deptford. Mark Perry also performed with his own band Alternative TV uh, which were a decent little punk band and there were other punk bands that came from South London as well. Uh, X-Ray Specs, lead singer Polystyrene born in Bromley but moves to Brixton and Susie and the Banshees probably the most famous punk band from London and surrounding areas. They originated from Bromley and were initially looked down upon by the other punks, which always amused me. Uh, Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious. For being too musical. For coming from Bromley. Yeah, they were literally called uh, the Bromley Contingent and they were sneered at by the North London punks because uh, they had to get a train. They couldn't understand these people (laughs) had to get a train to uh, get to the, the punk venues in central London as opposed to these people who were walking and getting buses. Always, you know, sporadic tube service. Always been an issue for uh, South London. And more recently, uh, South London has given birth to a form of music. Um, Dubstep, recently, originated from a record shop in Croydon and a record label that started in a record shop in Croydon. And a lot of prominent dubsteppers are from South London. Yeah, James Blake is um, based in Deptford and... Um, his eponymous uh, debut album would, would certainly be in my top five records of the year. You know, Limit to Your Love is a wonderful track, and the Wilhelm Scream, brilliant stuff. 
So I'll dive straight in with track one, Steve. The Clash, Guns of Brixton. Uh, fantastic stuff. London Calling, one of my favourite albums of all time. Mick Jones and Paul Simonon are both from Brixton. Paul Simonon being the bassist who uh, has got the iconic bass line on the track and sings it. It's a rare, a rare song that he sings on. Um, it's It predates the Brixton riots, but it's kind of... Um, a foretelling really of what what is to come and a threat really um you know it's got the lyrics uh when they knock at your front door how are you going to come with your hands on your head or on the trigger of your gun you can crush us you can bruise us but you have to answer to the guns of brixton they're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna keep us down is the message in it i think so yeah well it's just i think it's also about if pressure builds how is it going to be released? And it, you know, at that point, there was a you know it was a case in South London with issues with the police, with urban deprivation, just with the way the country was going. It was getting to a point where there had to be some form of release, and it wasn't going to be just marches, it wasn't going to be protests, and it wasn't going to be a case of grievances being addressed. It was going to build to a point where things were going to explode, as they did. There's a great cover version of it by the Arcade Fire from the lobby of Brixton Academy. Um, enemy venue of the year 12 times in 15 years Steve or something like that anyway and the uh, O2 Academy now isn't it it's one of those ah, the O2 Academy yeah. at Brixton yeah. we, won't, we won't call it that no, though, obviously absolutely not ever next track we've got is uh, Electric Avenue by Eddie Grant from 1982 a song that was recorded after the Brixton riots and records feelings about what happened uh, during the time although it doesn't sound like it it sounds very much like a party tune doesn't it yeah it was an important song for me uh, in 1987, and I was old enough at this point to appreciate the fact that I'd lived in Brixton for a while when I was a baby. I didn't remember it at all, but I'd lived in Electric Avenue. And I think my mum, when the song first came out, didn't realise it was really about the Brixton riots. And uh, we were all really happy that this song was out that was about a place we lived. And for me as a kid, it was really exciting. The idea that people were on telly singing a song where people were dancing about a place where uh, I lived. Yeah, the riots uh, were very confusing for me as a child. Uh, you're seven years old, you sort of learn a lot about the world. And on my estate that I lived on in Camberwell, uh, there were like four of us that used to hang out all the time. Uh, two brothers called uh, Liam and Dean, who, like myself, were Anglo-Irish, of Irish descent, but born in London. And I mate Henry, who was Nigerian. And none of us, I, you know, I was saying to Lakeisha, actually, I think my generation was the first that went to school in a, a really genuinely multicultural environment. I went to school with people of Afro-Caribbean origin and people, you know, I was a, a Vietnamese kid in my class. And didn't you know, don't think about it, you're a child, everything's new for you. So these were just new mm. people. But, um, yeah, around the time of the Brixton riots, myself, Liam and Dean started to call Henry, Henry Brixton. <laughs> yeah and it was just you were seeing black people on television and you associated them with Brixton inseparable yeah and and this is the thing there was no hate attached to it because you're seven years old you're not, and we didn't hate Henry we loved him he was brilliant but it was just something that we called him because of what we'd seen on television and we were so innocent about it and there was so so little malice well, no malice whatsoever involved that it all came to a head when we went to knock for Henry one day and asked his mum oh, if man. Henry Brixton could come out to play and his mum obviously didn't respond well to this, so uh, told our our parents. And my mum sort of went, 
why would you? And we were like, because of the telly. And it was entirely innocent. <laughs> but our mum, and it was one of those ones, you know, when your mum's not even angry, she's just like shaking her head. <laughs> like, what have I done wrong <laughs> as a parent where oh, you no. think this is acceptable? But it wasn't a case of us sort of thinking we were doing it. It wasn't sort of like, you know, a transgression or anything to do with it. It was just uh, us being literally ignorant and very stupid. Mm. Um, but it was, um, yeah, impressionable. Still remember it now. Track three, we've got a song from the album Exile on Cold Arbor Lane. Woke up this morning from the Alabama Free. The theme tune to the greatest TV show of all time. Dad's Army, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now the uh, opening of The Sopranos, Tony Soprano driving around, I don't know, the New Jersey Turnpike and other places presumably. It's so compelling visually, isn't it? For something that is just... Yeah, a man really is. driving around, it's incredible, isn't it? Well, it's a watershed moment, really, in the history of television. Again, it's another thing where you have this song by a band from a place that you're either a walk or a bus ride away from, and you know, not uh, you know, not pretty much everyone in the world, but a lot of people in the world have heard that song. The Sopranos is an incredibly successful show with a global reach, and people will know that song who would never have heard of the Alabama Free otherwise. They've not really taken that success and run with it. They've not become... Uh, successful even I, the, I would say even know. the name Alabama Free you don't you don't assume it was only when I saw that it came from an album called Exile on Cold Harbor Lane rather than Exile on Main Street say yeah um, that you realise that they're an English band you know a South London band and even then you know there could be a Cold Harbor Lane in Alabama it's unlikely our next song comes from another band that originated in Brixton they took their name from a shop in Brixton the shop was called Morley's <laughs> <laughs> the show was called Jack's Basement and they cleverly came up with the name Basement Jacks. Uh, Inversion. Yeah. That's all they did. Although an X's and whatnot. I don't know if they thought they were getting sued possibly by Jack's Basement. I'm not sure did you ever see the shop? I mean, you're called Jack. I'd imagine a lot of people would have pointed out to you as you were going past it on the bus or whatever. I've had people nickname me Basement Jacks before, but yeah, I've never seen that. the shop before. Oh, okay. I've got a feeling it's old like beds and mattresses for some reason. I've got nothing to base it on. That's something I've heard at some point or I've made up at some point and stuff. But the song that we're talking about is called I Live in Camberwell with the lyric I Live in Camberwell She Lives in Brixton. Just keeping it very South London again. Mm, they've got another one called Is It Camberwell Skies? Yeah. yeah. It's the kind of house stuff I find quite tedious but when they kind of venture into kind of pop um, and you got the song they did with the guy out of NSYNC, um, Plug It In, I thought it was fantastic. And like, Where's Your Head At? Some of the hits I think are brilliant, but the kind of album track kind of purist stuff. Well, I'm, I'm truthfully not really much of a Basement Jacks fan. My favourite Basement Jacks track is probably Lucky Star with Dizzy Rascal. And that's mostly because I just love Dizzy Rascal. Mm-hmm. And I only played that two ten minutes ago. Yeah, and it's straight away gone into number one in my favourite Basement Jacks. What do you know about boiling the kettle for a bath? Having a laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Track five is a bit of a serious one, Steve. Um, I won't pronounce it in the patois. 
that it's supposed to be pronouncing because I'll sound silly. Yeah. But New Cross Massacre by Linton Quasi Johnson, um, dub poet, if you will. The track is about the New Cross fire um, from 1981, where there was there was a house party going on in New Cross and a fire broke out under suspicious circumstances and 13 black youths died. Um, and notably, nobody was ever charged for it. Um, a bit like the Stephen Lawrence thing, where it kind of exposed institutionalised racism. Such was the outrage that there was a 20,000-strong march through London. Um, and it does... I've heard Linton Quasi Johnson refer to it as a watershed moment, um, and the Stephen Lawrence... Um, inquiry being a similar watershed moment but obviously with bigger uh, bigger changes uh, made from it it starts with this up-tempo kind of joyful reggae beat you know these people at a party and then like 30 seconds in he just drops the music and just describes people burning to death and living in a country where you're suddenly aware that you are the minority and um you know, die and people don't care. Yeah, this could, yeah, exactly. This could have happened to any of us. He says. He's got a tra- he's got another track called "England Is a Bitch," and uh, you know, which is a kind of nice companion piece to it, really. So there was the twenty thousand strong protest, and it was a peaceful protest. And the headline, Steve, in the Sun, the following day was the day the blacks ran riot in London. Incredible. <laughs> but I say incredible, so credible, isn't it? Because it's the sun, and if there's a chance for a terrible, inaccurate press headline, they will go for it with both hands. And there's a line in the uh, Linton Quasi Johnson song: um, "Plenty, plenty paper print, pure lie to confuse Joe Public's eye. In spite of them wicked propaganda, we refuse to surrender to them ugly innuendo." But yeah, the song ends with a kind of the two different elements of it he kind of joins them together so you've got the uh, upbeat reggae stuff but he's now talking about people choking and weeping and you know dying to this upbeat reggae and it's um, yeah it's kind of quite quite shocking that's quite an impact that's a disturbing song I'd never heard it before it's, it's another one it's similar to Basement Jackson that um, I hadn't heard it before but obviously very different in that I'd also never heard of the incident before and I think it's quite telling that as someone who grew up in South London and, as I earlier on, grew up in a genuinely multicultural environment in terms of school and friends in South London, just never heard about this incident. I was too, obviously too young at the time to be reading newspapers or watching the news to be that aware of it, but the fact that it's never penetrated my consciousness in the following, you know, 30 years, I think is quite telling. Yeah, it was the 30th anniversary last year and I read about it then. And it, yeah, it was quite shocking that it, that I'd never come across it before, especially that was, with the name. That's the first time you'd heard of it. That's the first time I've heard right, of it. Yeah, yeah like yeah. last last August, I think would have been the 30th anniversary, and I'd never heard of it before that. But you're familiar with Linton Quasi Johnson's work? Yeah, absolutely. I've heard of him. Well, familiar as well. I've heard of him, but I've never actually heard anything by him. And uh, it's you know an incredible song. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I mean, I've listened to bits and bobs. And I, I don't know if I call it a song. Though. It's more of a piece, isn't it? It's very much. Well, this is his whole thing. He's got. Um, he does some stuff. It's a bit like Gil Scott Heron, maybe, where mm. it's spoken word, but he's also got some music. And I was listening to him on Desert Island Discs the other day, and he was saying that when he does a live show, he often has music, but he puts he always puts at least one track in there with no music to remind people what he's doing there and where he came from, you know. 
And speaking of where he came from, he's Jamaican, but he moved to um, England when he was 11 and he went to Tulse Hill Comprehensive. Oh, there you go. Which leads us, Steve, into track six, another uh, Tulse Hill Comprehensive alumni. I'm not talking about Ken Livingston. <laughs> Smiley Culture. Yeah, the track is Police Officer from 1984. Um, and it's a bit like Electric Avenue. It's it's very upbeat for the subject matter it's dealing with. It's it's about the trouble black people have had with the police at the time. But it's very kind of uh, it's done in a comedy way and it's funny. And uh, you know he's uh, he's quite a talented toaster, Steve. As I believe you know. I believe that is the phrase. <laughs> I think that can be quite effective. Though I mean, with uh, the Linton Quasi Johnson track, the fact that every so often he, as you say, he's describing these horrific injuries and this horrible situation but the party beat drops back in again, is genuinely disturbing. And at the same time, Smiley Culture's methods can be can make it more accessible. You can, you can sort of find yourself tapping along and listening to it without even realising, and then finally you realise what you're listening to, and it can penetrate a little deeper, I think. What I find interesting is he has a conversation in the song with a police officer, and he gives a police officer... a comedy cockney accent and himself quite a thick jamaican accent despite the fact he's born and raised in south london <laughs> it was recorded the track um above dub the dub vendor record shop in lavender hill which i believe is still there i think so yeah yeah and it was a number 12 hit oh nice so steve we can't really talk about reggae without mentioning bob marley no you're right even though he's obviously from Trenchtown rather than uh, south london he visited south london just to be tackled by danny baker and killed, obviously. Are we going to put that to bed? Yeah. Um, obviously, Steve is... A, is um, I won't call you a conspiracy theorist, Steve. <laughs> but you are... You're more interested in it. I'm kind fascinated of... by mythologies. So if Let's you if you want to, you know, reel off the uh, Danny Baker story, because people won't know. The story goes that Bob Marley and Danny Baker were playing on opposite sides in a charity football match. Danny in, Baker being... Uh, TV and radio presenter, um, uh, a brilliant TV and radio presenter, and also uh, another fine resident of South London. Um, but Danny Baker, at this point, was a music journalist, and I think it was a musician, well, possibly just a, a sort of informal kickabout, but ended up uh, on opposite sides in a football match. The story goes, Danny Baker fouled Bob Marley... Managed to cut open his legs with his studs. He got infected and he got septicemia or blood poisoning. And eventually, Bob Marley... And, you know, the theory goes, Bob Marley died directly as a result of a tackle from Danny Baker in a football match. You hear it and you think, that's definitely not true. But it's one of those things that sort of, like, crept around for years, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I would say that it's definitely not true, Absolutely Steve. not true, yeah. Yeah, good, yeah. Because I don't want to... Uh... Upset Danny Baker. No, absolutely not. Um, friend of the show. Future friend of the show, Danny Baker. So my dad went to Peckham Manor School. And a couple of years ago, he bumped into someone he used to go to school with. And they were having a chat. I hadn't seen him for 30 years or whatever. And the guy goes, oh, do you remember that time Bob Marley came to our school? <laughs> and my dad's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And then I think he bumped into someone else who used to go to school. Like, oh, Jacko, remember that time Bob Marley came to school? My dad's like, what? <laughs> and as it turns out, um, 
1972, um, the art teacher, Keith Boff, who my dad has since gotten back in contact with, uh, he was also a photographer, and he's taken photos of Dylan and loads of uh, top people. You know, he's a top photographer now. He took photos of uh, of a load of graffiti in New York in the 70s that's kind of become an important record. Um, he went to see Bob Marley at the Bag of Nails in Soho and invited him to Peckham Manor School. Uh, and he, Bob Marley turned up at the school, played two sets in the gym, <laughs> and... Uh, had a kickabout with the kids in the uh, playground, and the Keith Boff took photos. And I think it was last year or the year before. It was the f- he hadn't published the photos anywhere, and the photos came out that these photos in the South London Press. There was an article in Mojo about it of, of Bob Marley in Peckham Manor School, and my dad has no recollection of it, despite he would have been I think thirteen at the time. So obviously, the thing is, even if your dad was off sick that day, you'd think that people would mention, it, wouldn't you? Let you go back to school. Uh, the Missy thing, yeah, that history homework was due. So you got out of that jammy, but you did miss Bob Marley. What? Yeah, you miss Bob Marley. You, you, so uh, somewhere, even if not that day, a couple of yeah, weeks how later, does someone that should sort you? of talk about. Do you remember that time when I scored that goal when Bob Marley put the ball? Through? And your dad would sort of turn around and go, "When you say Bob Marley, <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it?" But um, it's. I think it's good that there's photographic evidence. But there is a lesson, Steve. Don't bunk school. Yeah. Because if you do bunk school. Bob Marley might come in that day and you won't meet Bob Marley. In terms of that lesson, we might need to broaden it because I don't think any kids listening are going to be... Bob Marley's doppy. <laughs> Jamaican for ghosts, Steve. <laughs> but yeah, so Bob Marley played in Peckham as well, apparently, in uh, Mr. B's, which is now uh, the Suya Express on Peckham High Street. Oh, right. And he played at the Crystal Palace Bowl, which I don't know, where's that? Is that the stadium? Presumably? Yeah, it's at the stadium. I mean, it's still you still get music played at Crystal Palace now. I remember um, on the way home from work a few years ago, I w- used to get the bus through Crystal Palace, and I was waiting for a bus at Crystal Palace, and I could hear uh, Coldplay, <laughs> and I thought someone's got that radio on far too loud, and then uh, I heard Chris Martin talking, uh, obviously projected through speakers rather than him standing at the bus stop wondering when the four three two's coming. But um, I realised then, oh, right, Coldplay are playing uh, at Crystal Palace. Uh, he also played the Commonwealth Social Club in Croydon and the Telegraph in Brixton, which oh, is still, right. people still play at, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So, Steve, you've got some more words on schools in South London and their musical links. Yeah, I think uh, there is a pattern in music generally of bands forming at schools. It is a time when people uh, are forced together, you meet people, you find common interests... Um, and South London has a, a number of schools. South London's most famous school in terms of producing musicians is probably the Brit School in Croydon. Uh, its entire purpose is to produce musicians and performers. So the fact that there is a considerable roll call of singers to have come out of there should be no surprise. They're mostly atrocious, Steve. Do you want to give them a little... You say that, but Dane Bowers went to the Brit School, so some good ones as well. Dane Bowers. Dane Bowers. Yeah, from, uh, I want to say another level. But yeah, another level. Is it another level? I think level? So, oh, yeah. That's good, yeah. Are we going to, we're not even going to do a fact checking it, are we? We're like, I don't care. Nah, where no Bowers one cares from. about no, whether it's true or not no, in terms no. of Dane Bowers. No, it's fine. Um, Kate Nash Terrible. went to the Brit School. Terrible, but a wonderful example of the most South London voice you're ever going to hear on a record, I would argue. Or a terrible example. A terrible, well, I 
I'd heard of Kate Nash. My musical tastes are quite narrow and limited, so I'd heard of Kate Nash before this and listened to her for the purposes of talking about on the show and had to listen to the song Foundations twice before I'd accept that it wasn't a parody. Well, there's the song Caroline's a Victim, which is it's a comedy record, Steve, I think, mm. at heart. They, that's what it sounds like, isn't it? It sounds but like... she was huge for a little while. Yeah, yeah. Um, Amy Winehouse, another alumni of the Brit School. And another, really? Yeah, yeah. Another, oh, another singer who, again, the first time I heard Rehab, I thought it was a comedy song. Because the, the, the way it sung, I didn't think it was someone's harrowing account of struggling with drug abuse. It sounded like uh, say some sort of novelty record. Tears Dry on Their Own, do you know that one? I don't know. Oh, again, I don't. Really okay. great track. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of hers, but that's wonderful. Another school in South London with uh, a fine musical pedigree, the Campbell College of Arts. Uh, Sid Barrett was attending there when Pink Floyd was formed. Oh. Desiree, South London soul singer, uh, Life. A song I've always loved. Oh, Life. Well, my favourite version, probably uh, Harry Hill, uh, where you just like throw it in to the middle of things for no reason. That's uh, the reason I'll always remember that song. I can't remember Desiree's version, to you, but I can definitely remember Harry Hill's. Uh, Florence Welsh from Florence and the Machine went to Campbell College, and obviously he is from uh, Campbell as well. Again, I listened to some songs for the show. I'd heard of her, a new show from South London. It's not great, is it? Is it great? I don't know. I didn't like it. Well, I, I went to see a, um, I went to the Coral. I won tickets to see the Coral, and she was supporting, and this is a year or two before she got really big. So as I say, that would be quite a show of one. Yeah, yeah, well, it was just, yeah, it was her with an acoustic guitar, and um, or someone else had an acoustic guitar, and she was having a conversation with her mum, despite the fact the place was packed, because obviously it was a, a free show. She was having a conversation with her mum in the middle of uh, in the middle of one of the tracks. Not um, one of the tracks, in between tracks. But yeah, obviously now she's huge. Could that have been part of the performance? I'd like to think it was. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> and funnily enough, I used to work in Virgin Megastore with a guy who is now one of the machine. He's the heart player in the oh, machine. Oh, right. So he's gone from an acoustic guitar to needing a heart player. Well, it's a machine, isn't it? From quite, the machine. Quite a machine, isn't it? Some real advancements. Well-oiled. Humphrey Littleton, another alumni of Campbell College of Arts. I only know him from that fantastic Radiohead track, the last track on Amnesiac. Oh, of course, yeah. Living in a glass house. Is it living in a glass house? It was called... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, his piano... Um, his trumpet playing is better than I'm doing with my mouth. <laughs> Which is probably why they got him in for the track, rather than, can we get Jack in with his mouth? With a comb and a bit of tinfoil. <laughs> Goldsmiths in New Cross. Round the corner from where we're recording, Steve. Very close, very close. A couple of DJs who went there. Alex Zane and Robert DeBank. Oh. I think they might be... Robert DeBank, I think, is from South London as well. I don't know about Alex Zane, but he certainly went to uh, Goldsmiths. Malcolm McLaren. Studied at Goldsmiths, but you were saying earlier that's not much of a recommendation because he went everywhere. Course, everywhere? Yeah, on uh, when he was on Big Brother, Celebrity Big Brother, he said he was telling someone in there that he used he used to get a grant for an art school, used a grant, and then go to another art school in London, <laughs> used to get a grant, and I mean you can't do that now with UCAS, can you? Nah. But nah. then computers as well. Yeah, then you just used to phone why. up and turn up at places. I think incredible. That's why I could afford tartan trousers all the time, isn't it? Uh, Brian Molko from Placebo went there, but I mean that's not significant, is it? No, they were, you know. Therefore, Katie B, 
again I've heard of but yeah I did a music video um well, I, did, I filmed part of a music video that she was uh, featured in oh, really? again that's before she got big yeah, but okay. it was a Nikki S and Nike video. More about Nikki S and Nike later, obviously. Coming up, coming up. Um, probably the most famous graduates from Goldsmiths that formed a band are Blur. Blur, yeah. Blur met while at Goldsmiths. One, one half of Blur versus Oasis. <laughs> to give them their full title. <laughs> Not really a band you'd associate with South London. Never wrote about it or sang about it in any way and always very firmly associated with North London once they became famous I think and we you know we don't need them we don't regard them Steve nah it's fine move on yeah. unless someone if, you, if you're listening and you and you can find a Blur South London reference let us know because Steve's made that big statement there and I don't think he's combed the uh, I, I lyrics books I had a dig but I can't think of anything can you think of anything not off the top of my head but no as but I said, fair to, say, fair to say, not a band that you'd readily associate with South London. Much more associated with Camden. I don't think it was at Goldsmiths, but the Claxons also formed in New Cross. Okay. And are a huge fan of the first Claxons record. Back to our playlist, though, Steve. And it's the second track that is an address. This is true. A school in South London that hasn't probably got the prominence of those other institutions, but has been uh, incredibly prolific in terms of producing musicians over the last few years, is uh, Elliot School in Putney, which I found out about through reading up about Burial, a uh, dubstep producer from South London who went to Elliot School. And just having a look around there, he was in around the same time as members of Hot Chip, Fortet and the XX. Yeah, that's quite the alumni, isn't it? Yeah, incredible. And also, just over a, a certain amount of time, I'd, I'd like to investigate more. I imagine there's some sort of Robin Williams-style inspirational music teacher there that's mm. just like telling those kids to go out and live those dreams. Because it just seems far too much of a coincidence, doesn't it, for this one place to have produced that many bands in such a sort... Well, bands and musical acts. Because that's the thing. I mean, Fortet and Burial... I think that constitutes a hotbed. Is that the, They're the rules, aren't they? I think once you get to four bands. <laughs> Going back to our music playlist, our compilation, uh, track seven is the second track that has um, an address in its title. It's the Lambeth Walk by Lupino Lane. The most popular recording was by Lupino Lane. That was from 1937. It was from a musical of the time, Me and My Girl, uh, about a, a boy from Lambeth who comes into some sort of inheritance and gets a title... And his girlfriend from Lambeth is worried that he's going to forget about her. Mm. Yeah. Is it a type of walk? Lambeth walk itself is an address. Is that what it refers to? Or yeah. Or is it also a yeah. kind of a comedy walk that you I've do always, yeah, in my, in my head, when you hear the song, I always imagine someone walking in a very Chaplin-esque, comedic, music hall style. But I don't think there's any evidence that. And track eight, Steve, some people you know personally. One person I apparently knew personally, but I have no recollection of. I've gone for the London Boys, who I'd imagine most people listening have never heard of. Um, they were essentially a Eurodance novelty pop act from 1989. The song is called London Nights. The group itself... Uh, it's two guys, uh, Adam and Dennis, 
who were both dancers that came out of, at the time, a very popular roller dance scene in London, <laughs> which I think gives you an idea of the sort of dance routines you're going to see. Uh, you showed me the Top of the Pops appearance. Yeah. Uh, Uber Camp. It's incredible, isn't it? Uh, they are dressed uh, incredibly well uh, and dancing their way uh, around the stage. It's like an audition for the village people. Yeah, it is, uh, it is, as you say, incredibly camp. I remember at the time when the song came out, watching Top of the Pops and my mum pointing at the screen and going, oh my God, it's Adam. And me sort of going, how does my mum know one of the London boys? And my mum had to explain that Adam had worked at my uncle's factory when he was sort of 17, 18. Um, I was two and my mum had just gone back to work for my uncle at the factory and she'd bring me to work because she couldn't uh, get a childminder and essentially Aidan's job went from working in the factory moving and carrying stuff to essentially looking after me uh, he raised you he raised me in a lot of ways he's the reason I am the dancer I am today that's not true I'm a terrible dancer but my mum I was talking to my mum about him the other day and she was saying at the factory um, he'd come in and would either be looking after me and if he wasn't looking after me while I was asleep uh, his other role in the factory was to clear out a bit of space and go, who wants to see the latest dance moves? And he'd do impromptu dance recitals in the middle of the factory for Wicked. everyone to watch, yeah. The factory itself, with the whole sort of setup, um was quite interesting. My uncle had a clothing company called the Deptford Trading Company, which obviously traded out of Deptford, and he bought a factory in the Wharf Road from George Best. The, the uh, called... greatest British footballer of all time. Yeah, that, that guy. The football genius that is George Best. Oh, I just referred to someone from Northern Ireland as, <coughs> as British, Steve. I do apologise. That's fine. It's, uh, it is Britain. <coughs> <laughs> yeah, George Best sold up his clothing interest in the 70s. My uncle bought uh, a factory that was called Gompers. I don't know why you name a factory, and I don't know why you make it sound like it's something to do with like a children's television show. But a factory called Gompers... My mum's first job at Gompers was to cut the name of George Best Company from all the paper so they could reuse the paper themselves, which seems... Uh, it's a different time, Steve, isn't it? Yeah. But also, it seems a real shame that there isn't any uh, George Best paper. Keep around. hold of the, the yeah. headings. Throw uh, the paper away. I'd love the, the idea of my mum bringing some of that home for me to scrawl as a two-year-old. And like my first drawing was being done on some George Best paper. It wasn't. But yeah, um, my mum would go to work to uh, reconfigure some paper. Uh, leave me with Adam who would uh, make sure I wasn't breaking anything and then when I fell asleep would dance with people in the shop so yeah we uh, we had a, a personal link to the London Boys reading about London Boys since then um, let's say novelty pop act Eurodance they both moved they, they'd met at school in Greenwich um, and then eventually moved to Germany uh, let's say the Eurodance flavour one of them was German right yeah So, but also you'd imagine their music the Eurodance flavour, it would be a natural home for them to continue their careers once the sort of fadded had died out in Britain. Later on in their career, apparently, uh, they tried to revitalise things by recording Eurodance versions of traditional Christian compositions. And they had an album called Hallelujah Hits, <laughs> which, if anyone can find a copy of that, uh, I'd love to see and hear. Hallelujah Hits. Track 9... 
what I would describe as the greatest UK hip hop song there's ever been. Witness One Hope by Roots Maneuver. Oh, wonderful song, isn't it? What a beat. Yeah, the, the whole thing. Well, well, well. Yeah, exactly. His vocals, the lyrics, the beat. And it's the thing, usually, well, no, you'd say that's enough, isn't it? But Roots went one further and also produced my favourite music video of all time. It's, it is spectacular. It's wonderful, isn't it? So much fun. And such a simple idea. Yeah, he turns up at his old school sports day. Yeah, Woodmanstern Primary in Streatham. There's a little title card at the start that gives the background, explains that uh, Roots went to Woodmanstern Primary as a child, competed in school sports day when he was aged seven, and came last in every event. So he turns up to award the prizes, that is what I sort of say, as a very ostentatiously uh, successful rapper. He's wearing a tracksuit, mm. he's wearing his bling, he turns up in a sports car, which is clearly not his... I love when he takes his tracksuit off and he's got the kind of Limpa Christie one piece yeah, on. Yeah. And it turns out, although he's been invited to hand out the prizes, he's ready to go in. He's ready to compete. And he manages to involve himself in all the events. So it's the egg and spoons, three-legged race, the obstacle course. You see, it also cuts away from time to time to give a sort of Rocky-style montage where he's uh, training in gyms and running... He might even drink some raw eggs at one point. I think uh, he does. Yeah. yeah, I think he does. Yeah, it's great. But the 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 best parts are the actual competitions themselves. Um, one of my favourite bits: the egg and spoon race, where he wins and while celebrating, waves the spoon in the air, revealing that the egg is clearly stuck to it. <laughs> so he's compete. Let's make it clear: he's competing against uh, seven-year-olds and openly cheating. What what a crofferton. <laughs> Um, but my favourite bit is probably the three-legged race, where you see the competitors at the starting line. The kids mostly standing there, disinterested, possibly facing the right way. Roots is there, posed, ready to go, uh, poised, coiled, ready to explode out of the starting blocks with uh, an innocent child attached to his leg through rope. The race starts, he sprints. You can make it... You can see very clearly in the video, it's a dummy attached to his leg. But it's running along. And this kid, it, what's essentially supposed to be a child is just flapping along alongside yeah, him. It's hilarious. Dragged, dragged to the finish line. He's, uh, and then it's the obstacle course. He's dragging kids behind him under the cargo net. Uh, yeah, so he cheats his way to glory and gets booed out of the school at the end of the day by kids that have greeted him as if he was a, a visiting uh, god. Worth it, though. Oh, every, yeah, he's got the trophy. You know, got the gold. Probably the most famous band to come out of South London, Squeeze, would you say? Well, if you're discounting the likes of Blur. Yeah, no, if we're, if we're talking Native. yeah, born and bred, you'd, you'd probably say Squeeze. And they've got um, a particularly site-specific song. Track 10, Up the Junction. That's right. Yeah, it's a great track, isn't it? Yeah, really good. I mean, Squeeze, great fun the best of times, isn't it? It's got a little bit of significance for me, Steve. Because my wife, Lakeisha, she was born in um, the hospital in Clapham that's now a Tesco. So I never thought it would happen with me and the girl from Clapham. <laughs> Is there any way to track in Tesco where the maternity ward that Lakeisha was born was? I think it was in the uh, bread aisle. It was the bread aisle. Yeah. yeah. Without a doubt, the greatest musical artist to come out of South London is David Bowie. Yeah, absolutely. I the mean, most influential, the most talented... I was listening to Hunky Dory yesterday. 
and it's just such a fantastic record and it's not just that I mean there's one after the other you know low Ziggy Stardust it's just he's wonderful if you're looking at someone who's had a career that he's managed to sustain over a number of years without really you know tin machine aside quality no well, that, the thing is is that unfair that's I think it's the thing that people argue, say, isn't it? it weakens yeah. an argument it's like when you talk about Woody Allen and go he's yeah. sustained a career for 40 years he hasn't has he no 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 yeah it's just true I mean there's the last 20 years for Bowie have not been as good, have they? Even the last 30 years. Yeah. But for a period. And he still does enough interesting things. He's still challenging himself enough. He, he did his little dance phase a few years ago. He also did that interesting thing, I think at some point in the late 80s or the early 90s. He's, I don't think you heard about this. He sold shares in himself. No. He sold shares in basically David Bowie Enterprises against future earnings. So yeah. people could buy what was the... Was he broke? I don't think so. I think he was... Uh, I'd imagine... Because I don't, I don't remember him ever being in any trouble. I imagine he was just curious to see if he could. <laughs> that's that's the sort of guy, guy you're dealing with. But, but essentially, he sold shares in his future earnings, which you'd imagine have been paid off. But yeah, um, yeah, fascinating guy. Actor as well, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah very interesting style of actor. Yeah, absolutely. Unique. Again... And again, but the choices he makes in terms of the roles he takes and the film he, he gets involved in is, you know... Tesla, Warhol, yeah, the man who fell to Earth. Yeah. We haven't gone for Life on Mars, Steve, or Starman. Well, I was struggling to think. Oh, you know, obviously Bowie had to be in, there's no doubt about that. And I couldn't really think of a particular song that referenced South London. I was quite prepared to go... I mean, what was your choice going to be? Mine was going to be Heroes. I was just going to go with Life on Mars, just because, because it's, it's one of the most magnificent recordings. I, I was going to go for Heroes just because I really like it, and I like the idea of him. Apparently, the story behind Heroes is he heard No More Heroes by The Stranglers and immediately sat down to write a song called Heroes just to be contradictory. And I love the idea of that. I love the idea of him just responding to something around him and deciding to write something on that basis. I also was tempted by Spiders, uh, uh, Spiders from Mars and Ziggy Stars, that sort of phase of it, because I, I was talking to uh, Nat at work, who's a Bowie fan, and I was saying, you know, let's be fair, the guy's not written anything about South London, he's written more about space and the cosmos, we might as well go for Mars, if we're going to talk about anything. And Nat looked at me and said, oh, he's definitely written about South London, I was like, I, I don't think he has. And Nat, um, huge David Bowie fan, uh, remembered off the top of his head uh, that on an early B-side David Bowie specifically references Penge which was uh, amazing to me but Nat played it to me to prove it and that's the song we've gone for Did You Ever Have a Dream? Did You Ever Have a Dream? Not Bowie's best song No, um, the first record is not great is it? No, it is part of the reason I was talking to Nat about David Bowie was I was reading about the early stuff and Bowie himself admits, uh, Anthony Newley, the uh, contemporary singer uh, at the time the album was, first album was made, was a huge influence on him. And he asked his record company to send a complimentary copy of the album to Anthony Newley, who immediately destroyed it because he hated the idea of uh, David Bowie ripping him off. And I knew Nat was a huge Anthony Newley fan, so I mentioned the whole thing and then managed to get uh, information about this track. Which I just say, not brilliant, but it's got its charms. The final track. We've been building this, haven't we? I mean, we've sort of consciously structured it, so you've got Squeeze, 
London's greatest band, should we say? Well, you've got Bowie, London's. Well, let's, for the sake of argument, let's, this is the way we. For the sake of argument, yeah. yeah, you've got you know a great band, a great individual musician. We were looking to find the ultimate song about South London, weren't we? Initially, Steve, you had Network Southeast by Black Twang. And I thought I'd made a huge discovery. I was like, he mentions like four different places, not just one place in South London, he mentions four different places in South London. And I didn't tell you about it straight away because I wanted to spring it on you because I was like, Jack's going to be so pleased that I found a song that mentions four different places. He's going to be blown away by this. I've, you know, I've made the show. I've saved the show in a lot of ways. And I explained this to you. And I trumped you, Steve. You, you, the thing is, you, you were so kind. Because really, you could have just like, you know, like Martin Keown with Rude Van Nistelrooy. That's a terrible reference that no one's going to get. You could have jumped in my face. Do you remember that when you missed the penalty? Yeah. I did. But we yeah. Come back. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were very kind. You simply pointed out to me that the four references in Deadworks Works Healthy is good, but you found a song with... Many, many more. Some more. When we, uh, when we were going to put together a playlist of South London songs, the first thing that sprang to mind was Southside Rhythm by the Southside All-Stars and it's it's from I think it's from about 2004 um, it was you know the golden age of Channel U Steve absolutely and it was everyone from the UK a magical time everyone from the South London grime scene kind yeah. of led by Nicky S and Nike um, when I say South you say Runtings South Runtings South Runtings so <laughs> but in Nike, it's impo- it's diff- very difficult to count how many references to South London there are in the song. But when you told me you were going to try and do that, I, I I think I said to you, there's no way you can do that. I've gone for just Nike's verse. Nike representing Stockwell, obviously. Yeah. Fifty three different place names in forty seconds. That's incredible. You know, t- it's this uh, it's a comprehensive breakdown. Yeah. So on the track, you've got Nicky S and Nike, Remedy, Bonesley, Hyperactive. I'm naming these people as if I've heard of them before. <laughs> but no, the biggest, the biggest name on it is Asher D from uh, Pecknam. So solid. So solid crew. Who obviously, they had a number one hit in 2001, uh, summer 2001 with 21 seconds. And So Solid, you know, in terms of South London, were huge. I mean, for me personally, and I think for a lot of people, the thing about So Solid was I didn't know any of them. But everyone knew someone that knew someone. I had met Asher D a couple of times. I was working in HMV at the time when the album came out and it came with these So Solid Crew trading cards, <laughs> which I thought was a pretty neat idea. Yeah, wonderful. When the many people that returned the album, because it was not very good, <laughs> returned the album, generally they kept the cards. I would still stand by 21 seconds of the track. Tut, tut, tut. But also, in the same way as with Southside Rhythm, you've got this sort of like density of, of lyrics. I love the idea of everyone gets 21 seconds on the track and you do the best you can with it. One of my favourite things in hip-hop is the idea of the battling, the skills. It's about braggadocio, it's about being the best. And on this, they're all on the same side, but they're also all determined to be the best on the track. And just the idea of, of limiting as well. You know, it's one of those things where... And this is going to sound slightly overblown, but great art comes from limits, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and but I think we can great definitely... Great art doesn't come from the So Solid Crew. Well, actually. you say that with 21 seconds, did, and no, it's, uh, I think it's great fun as a track, and uh, particularly well done. To be honest, I've never heard the album. I've got no interest in hearing the album, but... If it hadn't been for this track, I would have uh, mentioned another Nicky S and Nike song, uh, Oi Oi Savaloy. You familiar with it, Steve? I'm familiar with the video. 
which was filmed uh, all around South London, wasn't it? Yeah, my friend Tabo directed the video, um, and it was mostly in Greenwich outside of a chip shop. And um, I Easy was... Savoy access, isn't it? Yeah, yeah you un- do they bought 100 Savoy's in. Is that all? Low grade Savoy's. <laughs> What's the lowest grade Savoy you've yeah, got? Yeah, it was that. It was literally the Savoy's they got in were special Savoy's that they didn't even sell in the chip shop. Yeah, I worked as a cameraman on the video a little bit, uh, and I, been, I ended up in the video waving a Savoy, <laughs> playing a cab driver. So <laughs> tight cost. So I'll definitely be putting a link to that up. I'll definitely be putting a link to that up, even though it doesn't quite make our playlist. When you were preparing for your part in the video, did you study De Niro's role in Taxi Driver? Or did you just go... I actually worked as a taxi driver for two weeks in New you, York. You Steve, qualified so. as... <laughs> did the knowledge. You did the knowledge, they turned up and handed you a low-grade Savile and you were like, I know back doubles that you would not believe. It was a method cameo appearance. <laughs> so that's the end of our South London playlist. Uh, some hope and some despair. Nice, nice. Yeah, Morrissey. <laughs> Not from South London. Um, but we di- and we didn't even get to mention that Manfred Mann used to live on Arnside Street, Steve. Yeah. Never mind. Next, part two, innit? This is how rich the South London musical legacy is. You can just drop Manfred Mann. You don't even need Manfred Mann. They had the first number one single by any band... Not from the north of England after the British invasion, which once you put the qualifiers on it, doesn't make it sound as good. <laughs> doesn't sound as good. They it? present that online as if it's a huge thing, and I was like, right, so that's a lot of qualification you've put on that achievement. They had a hit before the Rolling Stones, Steve, is what you're saying. Essentially, yeah. So thanks for listening. Um, remember, you can get in touch with us um, on Twitter, SLHC Podcast. Email us, southlondonhardcore at gmail.com. Go on the website, southlondonhardcore.com. Find us on Facebook as well by typing it in. We're not doing MySpace, are we? No, if you get us at bebo.com slash uh, <laughs> South London Hardcore. Yeah, thanks for listening. We're going to leave you now with, um, in honour of the musical episodes, probably the song most synonymous with South London, or the tune most synonymous, but, you know... With a twist. With Steve. a twist. We're a little bit different, a little bit different. So, take care. A little bit of weed mixed with some heart. They got some vodka that I jump start my heart quicker than the shock when I get shocked at the hospital by the doctor when I'm not cooperating. When I'm rocking the table while he's operating, you waited this long to stop debating. Cause I'm back, I'm on the rag and ovulating. I know that you got a job, Miss Cheney, but your husband's heart problem's complicating. So the FCC won't let me be or let me be me, so let me see. They try to shut me down on MTV, but it feels so empty without me. So come on again, come on your lips, fuck that, come on your lips, and some on your tits and get ready. I just settled on my lawsuit Fuck you, damn it Now this looks like a job for me So everybody, just follow me Cause we need a little controversy Cause it feels